Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, we talk about what the FAR really says about communications between government and industry before receipt of proposals. This episode is brought to you by North Strat Incorporated. Do you have experience as a contracting officer for an intelligence community agency like the National Reconnaissance Office? Do you have experience as a contracts manager for a government contractor, including proposal development and pricing strategies? North Strat is looking for you. North Strat Incorporated is a small, agile, and growing government contractor headquartered in Dulles, Virginia. North Strat is looking for an experienced contracts manager to help shape the future of the company. You will establish, organize, and manage the corporate contracting office while ensuring FAR and DFAR's compliance. North Strat offers outstanding benefits, employee stock ownership, and many other great perks. North Strat has a small company culture and takes a personal interest in every employee. If you or a friend would like to be part of a dynamic, growing company where you will directly affect the success of the organization, email your resume to recruiting at northstrat.com. That's N-O-R-T-H-S-T-R-A-T dot com. North Strat is an equal opportunity employer. You must be a U.S. citizen and able to obtain and maintain a security clearance. Okay, let's get started with our conversation about what is and isn't allowed to be communicated before receipt of proposals. I was at two different conferences this week. Actually, one was a conference and one was an industry forum where the customer had all of their contracting officers in the room and they invited industry folks to share information back and forth about the acquisition process. And what struck me about both events was the narrative that was in my head as a contracting officer years ago is still out there. And that narrative is, I don't want to tell anyone anything anytime because I might give somebody a competitive advantage and I might screw up my acquisition and I might have to spend a lot of time with lawyers and I'm scared. And that's, that's what I felt. Wh- whether it's due to a lack of experience whether it's due to paranoia, whether it's due to the acquisition lawyers in your ear, I'm not sure. But I know I felt it. Yeah, and the perception I had as a CEO is that, it, it, that I need to keep it fair. I need to keep everything level. But the playing field's not going to be level except for during the RFP zone. So during the market research zone, it's not level. Different people have different perceptions. We have incumbents who have experiences. We have people who used to work for the agency. We have all these things that influence the fact that it, no, it's not going to be level. During the RFP zone, it will be. And on the other side of the RFP zone, during the source selection zone, again, it's not going to be level because each proposal was different. Each approach was different. Each person's, each company's past performance may be different. It's not going to be level after. As a CEO, I didn't realize that that leveling, that leveling of the playing field only applies during the RFP zone. Yeah, I think we're saying the same thing. That 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 I ha- I had the narrative right but only for a very specific part of the acquisition. The rest of my life, I had it wrong. Yeah, and if you don't understand where the level playing field starts and stops, then we end up doing what you just talked about, which is, I can't share anything. And what it leads to is people being frustrated. They're frustrated because they, they've misaligned expectations. That's a Peter Drucker quote, by the way. Because your expectation is, I'm going to understand what I'm bidding on. Well, if you don't get that, you're frustrated, right? Well, and then as a, as a contracting officer, my expectation is I don't have to share anything, but you're going to give me a good proposal. Yeah, whoops. Yeah. Th- those are misaligned, right? But I didn't see it. That's even more frustration later when the government doesn't get proposals that are even close to what they meant in the RFP. 
or offers lose because they thought they knew what they were proposing to and find out, yeah, it's a, we actually wanted something a little different, and then they lose. Or when my customer says to me, well, well how come this wasn't proposed? I mean, I'm the CEO, and my customer is the user, right? And the user says, how come nobody proposed this? And I'm thinking, well, we didn't share that with them. And, and of course, <laughs> why didn't we? It's, it's, it's yeah, frustration everywhere. All right, let's stop with the early ramble and get on with our usual flow. Say thanks. Yeah, I want to say thanks today to Chris Ward on LinkedIn. Chris has been liking and sharing our content. And the best way for people to find our content is for other people to share it. So thanks for doing that. Thanks, Chris. All right, what are we talking about today? We're talking about when can the government share information and what can they share? And we got sort of deep into it already. The best way to understand this is through a graphic, through a visual, right? So think of the <laughs> Which you can't do in a podcast, yeah, but... I'm going to try to describe, describe it. it. <laughs> describe the visual. Think, think of the RFP zone as a flat mesa. So, you know, it's the top of a mountain kind of thing, right? You're climbing up one side through the market research zone. You're going across the mesa through the RFP zone, and then you're coming down the other side. And then, of course, then there's the pot of gold where the actual – it's a pot of gold for the contractor and for the customer. They <laughs> Before you get to the mesa, you're coming up the market research zone. The landscape is inherently uneven. There's, you know, there's rocks and boulders and whatnot because the incumbent has an advantage that no one else can get. So to argue that it's going to be level, it, it can't. It's right. impossible. They're, the incumbent is in the office or doing the mission right now. They have access to not only how it's been done, but conversations about how the government wishes it would be better. Yeah. And, and if they're a service contractor, they, all the people who are doing it are their employees. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's Take easy. that, other offers. So the next level is offers who have been watching the requirement. If you, if you know this contract is expiring, it's one of the things we teach a lot of our clients to do is you're watching this a year out. You know the contract is expiring. You know the government has this need. You're paying attention. You're going to the right industry event. You're talking to the right companies and you're learning what is the government going to need. When is the RFP going to come out? When, when is this really going to happen? That's an advantage. If by comparison, someone who just is trolling through FBO and finds that there's an RFI that comes out you know, a year after you've already started, that's an unlevel playing field that the CEO has no control over. Acronym, <laughs> alert, acronym alert. You just dropped a couple. Okay. Uh, a request for information is RFI and FBO is Federal Business Opportunities. That's the site where everything gets posted, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, and then let's overlay that with, say, an offer who knows the agency because they happen to have employees who used to work there. If you have a couple of Navy SEALs who work in your company, they're going to be really good at understanding what the Navy SEALs that are currently serving are going to want. That's an advantage. Government has no control over that, nor should they. That's what I mean is that the inherently unlevel playing field exists in the market research zone, and it should. So then you get up to the top of the mesa, and during the RFP zone, everything's supposed to be level, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But over on the other side of the RFP zone is the source selection zone, and this is where the government is evaluating proposals. And this is where it gets uneven again, because immediately you know that each proposal is unique. You have to evaluate them according to the criteria laid out, but things aren't really even at this point. During discussions, and we have separate episode about discussions, during discussions, it gets uneven again. The government does not have to ask the exact same questions of every offer during discussions. The government does not have to ask questions in the same amount of depth to each offer. Discussions are going to be unique. These are negotiations, and 
again, we talked about this before. Discussions is supposed to be negotiations. It even says bartering is allowed in the FAR. So the communication that's happening during discussions, it should be unique. And I think that I, I'm, I'm raising my hand here. We had like, here are the questions to ask during discussion. Well, that mindset, it kind of homogenizes it. It said, okay, these are the five questions we're going to ask. And you've already kind of set the bar and the lawyers are probably you know, freaking out when I say this, but you already set the bar that they're going to be the same. And they shouldn't. They may be similar. Right? The process has to be very controlled at this point, and it all flows through the CO, but things are different. Let's jump into FAR time to help illustrate what we're talking about here. FAR 15.201 is exchanges with industry before receipt of proposals. And this is what we're talking about. Most of the acquisition time is prior to receipt of proposals at the beginning of the RFP zone. So 15201A says, exchanges of information among all interested parties from the earliest identification of a requirement through receipt of a proposals are encouraged. Th that's very broad. What do we mean exchanges? How does that happen? That doesn't speak to the fair, unfair, how do we do these exchanges? But it goes on to say, must be consistent with procurement integrity requirements. So this is defined in FAR 3104. And procurement integrity is to the government employees. It's on the government employee side. And it says that you can't be seeking employment, you can't take bribes or gratuities, and you can't release proprietary information. So basically, it's this idea of government employees have to be aware of any conflict of interest they have with a particular opportunity they're managing. That, that's what procurement integrity talks about, is the government employee's conflict with an acquisition they're on. But other than that... that has, <laughs> yeah, that has little to do with... Can this capability be met by this solution versus this? Right. Unless your uncle works at that company, okay, that, that's a Procurement Integrity Act violation. But outside of that, you should be talking a lot more. And I didn't see this as clearly when I was – I was terrified of the Procurement Integrity Act until I realized how narrow the scope of it really is. Remember, if the FAR doesn't say you can't do it, you can unless it's illegal for some other reason. The FAR doesn't have a lot of limitations on what you can share prior to receipt of proposals. It says exchanges of information among all interested parties. goes on to say interested parties are potential offerers, end users, government acquisition and support personnel, and others involved in the conduct or outcome of the acquisition. So that's really everybody. Everybody. It's not just the contracting officer sharing information back and forth. Everybody can share. All right. 15201B says the purpose of exchanging information is to improve understanding of the government's requirements and industry capabilities – thereby allowing potential offerers to judge whether or how they can satisfy the government's requirements and enhancing the government's ability to obtain quality supplies and services at reasonable prices, blah, 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 blah. Well, the, the part that jumps out at me is so they can judge whether or how they can satisfy the government's requirement. So what the FAR is saying is the more communication you have, the more they will self-eliminate. And we want them to self-eliminate. As a contracting officer, you don't want anybody to bid on this that can't do it. And right here is... Language, right out of FAR Part 15. It says that's the purpose, one of the purposes. Yeah, and the result is that you get – you you're more easily able to obtain quality supplies and services at reasonable prices. It also cuts down the acquisition cycle. 15201C, agencies are encouraged to promote early exchanges of information about future acquisitions. They're actually saying do this. Please share information. 
Yeah, I've not seen the word encouraged so many times in the FAR as I have in this particular section. But yes, they, they don't mandate it because it's this is the thinking part of the job, is how much. Do we talk to 50 companies or we talk to three? Do we have six one-on-ones or 70? So there's a judgment call to this. It does give you examples of techniques to promote early exchanges of information. Industry or small business conferences, public hearings. Here's the big one. One-on-one meetings with potential offerers. And this is interesting to me, Kevin. It actually says any that are substantially involved with potential contract terms and conditions should include the contracting officer. I heard the should. Did you see the should? Right. And the unspoken thing is that any that aren't involved with potential contract terms and conditions don't need the contracting officer. So there can be technical meetings that the contracting officer knows nothing about occurring. It's okay. Yeah, and, and as a CO, there were a lot of times I got pulled into meetings, and I think it's because we hadn't read this paragraph. And of course, not to be melodramatic, but having a CO in the room sometimes is like having a lawyer in the room. It like changes the tone a bit, and, the, and the, so the contract, <laughs> like, I don't want to irritate them because we have a different view of the world, right? We're, we're on the business side versus the technical side. Right. That we want our customer, and, and I'm thinking in terms of like you know a major system or an acquisition, but even a service contract, you want the person who's going to get the service to be able to have an open conversation with the person who would deliver it. And what this paragraph says is this should happen before the RFP drops. This whole paragraph, all this stuff we're talking about here, this is all wide open before the RFP drops, before that thick black line between the market research zone and the RFP zone. Other techniques it lists are the things that we've talked about many, many times. Pre-solicitation notices, draft RFPs, RFIs, pre-solicitation conferences, site visits. Site visits, hey, Look at that. It's right in the far. You can go visit contractors' sites. Number nine. Let's move on to the one limitation here. 15201F talks about when you can't communicate openly. And it starts out, general information about agency mission needs and future requirements may be disclosed at any time. And here's the important part. After release of the solicitation, the contracting officer must be the focal point of any exchange with potential offerers. And that's, that's when we just drove from one time zone to the next. That's the thick black line between the market research zone and the RFP zone. Right there in the FAR, paragraph F. Yep. Go back to the podcast about the acquisition time zones. Separate podcasts about each one. We talk about this in depth. After release of the solicitation is where the communications get clamped down. I'll keep reading in 201F. When specific information about a proposed acquisition that would be necessary for preparation of proposals is disclosed to one or more potential offers, that information must be made available to the public as soon as practicable, but no later than the next general release of information. And here's the important part again. In order to avoid creating an unfair competitive advantage. So let's bound this. After release of solicitation, if you tell one offeror one thing, you need to tell all of the offers that as soon as possible in order to avoid creating an unfair competitive advantage. And, and you'll notice we went away from encourage to shall. This paragraph is, in fact, they should a little, put a little bullet in here that says, this is the start of the, of the RFP zone. Because <laughs> now you're in the shall land. Instead of shall, it says must, but the principle's still there. Is in, order to, in order to avoid creating an unfair competitive advantage. Now, we could get really hung up on the idea of there's no such thing as an unfair competitive advantage. Because... Competition, by definition, is going to be unfair to the loser. Sorry, that's perception. But the point here is that what they're really saying is an, is an unfair competition. But you'll notice that this is the only place that shows up. 
This is the only paragraph when they say after the release of solicitation. Now we clamp down the communication and say, if you share something with somebody, you got to share it with, with everybody. And I think I've had many podcast rants about the difference between a competitive advantage and an unfair competitive advantage. The incumbent in a competition does not have an unfair competitive advantage. It's just a competitive advantage. Due to their previous success and the fact that they're doing the work, they know more than people that are outside. During the pre-RFP process, all the information that competitors need in order to compete is released. But that doesn't change the fact that the incumbent is going to have more context and understand more about what the actual requirements are because they're there. That's not unfair. That's not unfair. I'll try to keep from going on a rant here. But the problem with this, and I didn't see it as a CO, is that that phrase, unfair competitive advantage, it, it entrenches people. Because we, we, we as, as a government CO, my perception, my perception is that I want to make sure everybody has a fair chance to bid. The problem with that mindset is that it avoids everything you just talked about. They should come to the top of the Mesa with a fair perspective, and they don't. Their ability to get information, their ability to submit a proposal is the same, but their journey to the top of that Mesa through the market research zone is going to be different, and they're going to get competitive advantages. If they've been to the top of the Mesa before or a similar Mesa, they may already have all the right climbing gear, or they may already know the best path to get there, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not unfair. It's just the fact that they're more experienced Mesa climbers. Yeah, I feel like there's a whole – there's rabbit holes everywhere, so let's keep going. All right, let's get specific and give a few scenarios. Let's play the is this okay game. So post RFI, multiple offers have submitted their their responses and said, hey, here's here's information for you, government. But post RFI, an offer wants to meet with the program manager of this upcoming acquisition to discuss the government's views on the RFI submission, what they, what they had in there. Is that okay? So they're basically looking for feedback to their response to a request for information. Yeah, individual specific feedback. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Does the contracting officer have to be there in the meetings? It's funny. I, I delay because I say not only do they not need to be there, but I don't think I want to be there. <laughs> not but, a great you know, use of time. Yeah, I mean, in, in the early days when I was paranoid, I'm like, I have to be at every meeting. And But after a while, you're going back to that point of you know, what, what value am I adding to that meeting? This is the technical side. The CO leads, and maybe I'm oversimplifying, but think in terms of the CO leading the business side of the, of the transaction. But the technical side, this is what an RFI is about. A request for information is show me how you would solve this technically. We're not talking contract type. We're not talking acquisition planning. We're not talking small business set of signs. We're talking about what does this thing do? Right. Is it good for the contracting officer to have an understanding, at least a basic understanding of the technical side of whatever they're acquiring? Well, yeah. Well, yeah, because they should have read the RFI. Right. That, that's good. But do they have to be in every meeting? No. All right. So that's first scenario. Second scenario, an offerer calls the contracting officer after the draft RFP is released to ask about the schedule for the final RFP release. And the contracting officer tells the offerer that the schedule in the draft RFP has slipped by a month. Is that okay? Why not? Because what? The, here's the risk is this offer knows that they're going to have to wait another month for the actual RFP to come out. Is that an advantage? Okay, yeah. If I'm paranoid about it, which I probably would have been, in fact, I can tell you I would have been, then I would have probably gone on to FBO the next day and said, oh, by the way, we're going to draft, this is going to slip another month. That's open communication. The fact that the, and I used to 
before caller ID, I was afraid to answer my phone. <laughs> and, and to be fair, because I'm a, I was afraid of questions that may have been over the line, which, you know, we can, there's a whole other podcast about right. that. But in knowing the difference, that's the paranoid. That's where the, that's where the CEO gets paranoid of like, what question right. are they going to ask? But it turns out before, before the final RFP is released, there's really not a question that's over the line. And if you right. feel like there is one and an answer has been provided, all you have to do is post the information or send the information out for everyone. And then it's not over the line anymore. So can can a uh, contracting officer tell an offer that there's been a, a schedule slip during the draft RFP phase? Yes. Should they tell that offer? Yes. Should they tell all the offers to make it easier on everyone? Yes. But if they don't tell all the offers, it's still not officially a problem. It's Correct. really just an offerer called through their own initiative to inquire about the schedule, and the contracting officer gave them some information. That's not unfair to all the people that didn't call. You got to give credit to the one that did call. Now, yeah, and, still, and I would tell everyone afterwards if I actually knew the schedule was going to slip. But Mostly because I don't want them all calling me and asking me the same question. <laughs> right. Save yourself <laughs> the trouble of having to avoid 10 different calls by just posting the information. All right. Next scenario. Back to the request for information. Post request for information. The government tech team visits a potential offerer to view their demo of a technology that may apply to the future acquisition. Is that okay for the government tech team to do that? So this is after the request for information has been released? Yeah. Or even after the draft RFP is released, but before the actual RFP has been released? Yeah. And since it's a binary answer, the answer is yes, that's okay. It's either it's either okay or it's not. And the only time it's not okay is after the RFP. Once you're on top of the Mesa, then everything's got to be level. But at this stage... Yep. Do they have to, does the government tech team have to visit every potential offer? It's market research. It's a judgment call. Here's a question. Can they actually visit every one of them? No. Is the, it's, it's, it's an infinite number of options, right? So because of that, just the, the illogicness, yep. that's a word, of being able to visit all of them. So then the answer would be, well, if they can't visit all of them, they're going to visit none of them. Well, the problem with that is you'd never learn anything. Right. So should, so you, should you try to visit all of them? Yeah, that would be great especially if you've already done all of the communication that has self-limited a bunch of offers and there's only a handful left. Should you? Could you? That would be great. But if the tech team visits one offer because in their RFI, they had a very compelling technology and, and said, hey, we want you to come out and visit us. Can they? Yes. Do they have to visit everyone? No, it's okay. How about pre-RFI? Can the government tech team go out and visit potential offers and get demos of their technologies? Sure, sure. What about after the draft RFP is released? Can the government tech team just go out and visit one offer and see their technology? My, my cackles start to get a little bit. It, my, my CEO brain kicks in. I get a little, <laughs> the, the technical answer, the correct answer is yes, they can. The, the reason I get edgy is because the closer that we get to RFP release, the less comfortable I get with these kind of trips and these kind of, you know, embedded information uh, passing back and forth. Yeah. And again, it's a good thing, but that's, that's my paranoia as a CEO of somebody's going to call me and say, well, you didn't come to my office. You went to Joe's office. Now you feel like you have to go to Joe's office. Right. Even though office. Joe's never done it before and Joe doesn't actually have anything to see other than, right. you know, a, a, an office. That's when you start being unfair to the offer that has a technology that's available by trying to give everyone else a chance to, to do it as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of perverse, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's where I started 
this conversation is the narrative that was in my head as a CEO is I shouldn't say anything. I have to treat everyone exactly the same all the time. And I can't be sure that I would have allowed the government tech team to visit one offer after the draft RP release. I can't be sure I would have done that either. But the way the FAR lays it out prior to that RFP release, you don't have to treat everyone exactly the same. It's okay if one actually has a competitive advantage. And the problem, I believe, is that we've allowed that narrative of treating everyone the same to expand from just the RFP zone, just the period after RFPs are released. We've allowed it to expand to the entire acquisition process. So the whole, I can't talk to anyone because I might accidentally give them advantage thing is now pre-RFI, during the RFI phase, during the draft RFP phase. Oh, I can't talk to one unless I talk to all. It's not what the FAR says or intends. And, and the way to get around this from a logic test is it's impossible to talk to everybody. It is. So if we use the standard of I have to talk to everybody, then that means you can never go visit anybody ever. Because you have to visit all of them, and you can't visit all of them because there's an infinite number of companies that could do this. So that's why it doesn't pass the logic test. Now, if I had been experienced enough to think of this when I was a CEO, I probably would have had better market research. But here we are. Okay, we always link this to the acquisition time zones and the execution time zones. We've already done that a bunch of times. But to be clear, we're talking about the line between the market research zone and the RFP zone. Why is it important to understand this, Kevin? Communication builds context. And, and what context gives us, it gives us armor against proposals that don't fit. We don't want proposals that aren't going to actually solve the problem. And then that could lead to contracts that don't work. So we want people to have context. And the best way to get that is through communication because we, we want contracts that work. That's the point of government contracting is to give somebody something that they need from somebody who can make it. It's got to work. And that's what the FAR actually says, that if you do these communication things, you get better acquisition results. All right, specifically on the government side, this is how you get to that magic number of proposals submitted that you have to evaluate. And what's, what's the magic number, Kevin? Three. I want three proposals every time. The better you communicate, the better opportunity you have to get to that magic number. Because even the best RFPs can lack complete context. If you're just buying a commodity, if it's three of this part number, you don't need any more context than that probably. But as the complexity of the acquisition goes up, the more difficult it is to, to explain every single thing you could ever want to explain with words. More communication allows companies that can't win to self-eliminate to no bid or to team with companies in order to provide a more complete solution that can win. And, and more communication, it's going to allow offers who can win to refine their offering and give the government better proposal. And we want better proposals and we want fewer of them, right? We want fewer proposals to evaluate and we want a more targeted approach, there's that targeting idea again, which leads to lower execution risk because you have better, better targeted companies with a better solution. Lower execution risk means lower cost, better schedule, et cetera. So all of this, the top of this pyramid we just created started with better communication that led to context. Sorry, I feel kind of preachy today. From the industry side, the more gaps in the context, the, the more you're guessing. And the bigger the guesses, the lower chance you have to, to win. Industry wants to focus their bid and proposal on efforts that they have the best chance to win and not waste effort on things where they can't win. It's not just a matter of they want to focus. They have to. They can't afford to, to go after things that they're not going to win. 
And a forward is based sort of on opportunity costs because because the real cost lies with the government here. Bid and proposal costs are allowable costs to the government. They, they're part of that indirect cost pool. So the government ultimately pays for a wasted proposal effort through higher costs on that company's other contracts. As a taxpayer, we all want things to be more efficient because contractors could offer lower prices. Government pays lower prices, right? Yeah, and things get done faster. The opaqueness of this whole process without communication is one of the reasons that some companies shy away from the government market in its entirety. Because it, it becomes so different. If you, if you can't sit down with your customer before you put together your solution for them. Think about how, how when I said it sounds really easy, right? But it's not easy. There's all these rules and it, and it can get really complicated to a point, like you mentioned, we stretch the wall of communication far before the RFP even comes out. And as a result, the lack of communication, a lot of companies will not bid on things. They won't even be in the market because they're like, I can't win this. I can't understand it. Think about commercial world, your own life. If you need a new furnace and someone comes in and says, here's what we want to do. Here's what we're going to build and it costs this much. You can just tell them, that's eh, not what I'm interested in at all. And they'll go away. The government is not very good at doing that. They, they can say that, but many times they don't. All right, let's wrap this up, Kevin. Well, it's, the, the, the lesson here is that communication leads to context. We, we foot stomp that a lot, but context leads to effective contracts. These are critical decisions that are being made by both sides. Is, is this something that we want? And is this a business that I want to be in with the government? Those are critical decisions. So the risk of not communicating actually far outweighs the risk of of somebody complaining because they didn't get invited to an industry day, to be blunt. And this wraps right back to where we started. The narrative that was in my head is still out there, and it's hard for me to shake sometimes as well. Government is worried about protests. The only time that something becomes protestable is when an unfair competitive advantage is created during the RFP zone, after RFP has been released. Prior to that, Almost anything can be fixed. The easiest fix is if you think you went over the line in sharing too much information with one, publish it for all, share it with all. Unless you're violating the Procurement Integrity Act, like we talk about, taking bribes, arranging for a future job, or sharing proprietary information of one potential offer with another, you don't have a problem. Yeah, and there's there's so many rabbit holes to go down with this topic, so we'll have more about this one. But, but we wanted to pull the pieces of the far and say, here's what it says we can do. And start with that, and then we'll we'll this this topic will continue. Yeah, it's surprising what the far doesn't say sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later. See you, Paul. All right, that's it for this episode. If you have questions, comments, or complaints about what we talked about today, send me a note at Paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us. Yeah.